This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Silver Shamrock Novelties. Yes, kids, you too can own one of the big Halloween three. That's right, three horrific masks to choose from. They're fun, they're frightening, and they glow in the dark. Remember to watch the Horathon on Halloween night. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. It's Halloween on Pod Cemetery, and We've decided every year on Halloween we're going to cover a new entry in the Halloween franchise. And since this is our third Halloween, that means we're covering Halloween 3, Season of the Witch from 1982. Happy Halloween, everybody. And since that is a divergence slash spinoff from its main franchise, we're going to cover another spinoff sequel in 2018's The Nun to follow up on Conjuring 2, which we just did. So if you haven't listened to that episode, please go and do that. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. In what movie do the survivors use Petri dishes with blood samples and a heated wire to determine which of them is the host of an extraterrestrial creature? The Thing. Correct. Which I assume you brought up because it's a John Carpenter flick. Yes, that's why. Totally on purpose. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) All right, Kelsey, speaking of John Carpenter, John Carpenter has written more than one Halloween film. How many has he written? Three? I will give it to you. In this book, they answer two But one of the pieces of trivia that we're going to talk about is that he actually has an uncredited role of rewriting the script to Halloween 3. The one we're about to talk about. Yeah. So the real answer is 3. So you get credit for that one. Cool. All right. First up is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch from 1982. uh, Credited as being written by Tommy Lee Wallace and directed by the same. Starring Tom Atkins... Stacy Nelkin and Dan O'Herlihy. So the story of the writing of the movie is that Nigel Neal, who is an established author, he wrote the original treatment, but apparently Dino De Laurentiis, who owns distribution rights for the series, wanted it to be more violent and gory. And Nigel ended up suing them to take his name off of the movie when he saw just how violent the end product was. So John Carpenter rewrote Nigel Neal's version. Then Tommy Lee Wallace rewrote that version. So apparently (laughs) 
Carpenter was I'm a little bit. I'm surprised at how cohesive the film is. Right. Well, <laughs> it had definitely has problems. Carpenter apparently was surprised at just how much rewriting that Wallace did. It's not like, hey, I deserve credit or something. He did an uncredited rewrite. He wasn't intended to get credit for it. But since Wallace did so much rewriting and Neil wanted his name taken off of it, credit goes to Wallace. So he gets final credit to be the writer of the actual film. Do you know of any big differences between the three? No. Okay. Uh, Wallace says that about 60% of what they filmed was the original Nigel Neal version. So his name would probably be credited as the writer if he didn't want to take it off. So there you go. Originally, apparently, the director was going to be Joe Dante. And Joe Dante is the one that got Nigel Neal to write that original script. Originally, he was in town, apparently, to write a reboot of Creature from the Black Lagoon. That John Landis was going to make, and oh. that movie just never happened. Oh. So while he was there, Dante gave Neil the writing duties for the script. And then in the end, neither of them got credit this movie. Of course, Joe Dante didn't actually uh, do it. Uh, speaking of credit, though, Wallace credits Deborah Hill, Carpenter's partner, film partner, I should say, uh, with coming up with the idea of witchcraft in the computer age which is kind of the basis for this whole thing oh god <laughs> we mentioned in our previous episodes we've brought this up several several times but we figure it might as well go in this episode that the reason this movie has absolutely nothing to do with michael myers is because carpenter didn't want to do any more Michael Myers stuff. He and Hill wanted this to become an anthology film. He didn't even want to do the sequel, but he was coerced into doing part two, which had Michael Myers. The problem is, is that since he agreed to do that, he kind of established that Halloween wasn't an anthology series. Mm -hmm. And then when the third movie was going to come out, everyone's like, where the fuck is Michael Myers? <laughs> I mean, I think really Carpenter would probably fall in the camp that if you're going to do a horror franchise, it should be more about the protagonists. And when you have the same villain in every single movie, that villain becomes the protagonist, which is very much the case in Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the point of Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm -hmm. But if you look at a movie like Scream, it's really about Sidney Prescott. Uh, and it's, it, it's a different killer every single time. They just happen to be wearing the same costume. And so that's how you get the villain continuity in that. So... He, did, he didn't want to do another one, and the only way he would do this one is if it wasn't about Michael Myers, and that didn't go over so well with the public. <laughs> <laughs> the, it's so much so that at this point, if you look the movie up in IMDb, it has been de-tagged as a Halloween film. If you look it up, it is just called Season of the Witch. Normally... We would go by whatever titling and dating that IMDb gives it. But I'm sorry, this is very firmly Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. That's part of its charm. <laughs> There's no way we can not refer to this as Halloween 3. And it's always included in the, in right. the sets. Yeah, no, you just got to accept the fact that one of the movies is not like the others. <laughs> I mean, Halloween is notorious for just forgetting entries in the movie. I mean... To get Laurie Strode back into the storyline, they had to forget 
I mean, we're not in these movies, but they had to forget a good chunk of the series to bring her back into the storyline. And then spoilers for an awful change in the, in the franchise. In one of the movies, Laurie Strode dies. <laughs> and then so to bring her back again in the newest Halloween movie, they had to basically forget everything but the first. Yep. So it's notoriously discombobulated. And so the fact that one of them doesn't even have Michael Myers, really not that big a deal. <laughs> one last Carpenter note, the music is done by John Carpenter and Alan Howarth. I don't know exactly where the credit lies the most, but the the soundtrack does sound like a Carpenter soundtrack, and it is fucking fire. Like, <laughs> I love this soundtrack. So... Probably a big Carpenter influence, even if Hoart did more. I honestly don't know. We know Tommy Lee Wallace from directing 1990s TV version of It. Ah. He also directed the sequel to Fright Night, which we haven't seen. Not yet. As well as television episodes of Max Headroom and the 80s version of The Twilight Zone. Mm. But interestingly, he was also one of the ghosts in... The Fog. Oh. So with all of that said about the behind-the-scenes production to get us started talking about it, Kelsey, what is Halloween 3 Season of the Witch all about? A doctor, through a slew of events, gets wrapped up in a conspiracy that involves witches and ancient magic mixed with Halloween masks and bugs and children. Sure. Okay. We'll take that as the summary. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll get into it. The movie is free on HBO Go and HBO Now. It's about a 3 to $4 rental on streaming services, 8 to $10 purchase. Now, the big question is, should people watch this movie? Yes. Really? Yes. I was bracing myself for a no. Why do you think people should watch it? Well, A, it's part of the franchise, and I'm a completionist, so I think that you should see all the films inside the franchise, which is why we're watching all of these awful sequels. Uh <laughs> but also, it's so weird. I feel like people need to know about it, because it's just so bizarre. It is bizarre. It's such a strange movie. And, and the fact that this was called Halloween 3 is remarkable. Yes. And your curiosity should be getting the best of you, I yeah. think, if you haven't seen it yet. So, yeah, I'm going to say yes. Awesome. So you agree? I do agree. I think people should watch it. Absolutely. I just figured you would say no. You can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 1982's Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. You don't really know much about Halloween. Halloween. The barriers will be down between the real and the unreal. The last great one took place 3,000 years ago when the hills ran red. Halloween, the children. You have to know anything about this, Cochran? All I can tell you, mister, is watch out. Season. He's watching you, friend, I guarantee you that. Trick or treat, trick or treat. Hey, Mr. Cochran, just what is the final process? Uh, just what I had in mind for you, little buddy. Why, Cochran? Why? Do I need a reason? 
I've got nothing here to indicate there was ever a body at all. Operator, this is an emergency. I do love a good joke, and this is the best ever. A joke of the children. I'm glad you'll be able to watch it. Halloween. Happy Halloween. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, the night no one comes home. Season of the Witch. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, begin? We have another intro with a pumpkin, like we always do for Halloween. Yes. But this time it's a computer graphic. Yes, but it is very important to the plot. That's the image that flashes on the screen. Is it? It is. Oh. Apparently, it took a long time to make. Remember, it's 1982, and getting a computer to do graphics at this point in time, it wasn't exactly robust. But also to make it appear in the way that it does, where it's like growing and disappearing, like it's carving out the features of the face, and it's almost aligned to the music, is... Apparently very difficult, and it took them a couple weeks, I think, to actually complete this. Could you imagine? (laughs) I know, it's crazy to think about that. (laughs) Then we get our first listen to the song that you will hear a lot. We will go over how many times you hear this song. Eight more days till Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Eight more days till Halloween, Silver Shamrock. Yes, and an announcer who, by the way, is writer-director Tommy Lee Wallace, Ah. talks about the big Halloween 3. Yes, kids, you too can own one of the big Halloween 3. Get it? Halloween 3? Ah! It's these three masks from a company called Silver Shamrock. What are the three masks? A witch, a pumpkin, and a skeleton. Yes, apparently the witch and the skeleton were already pre-existing masks that they bought, and they created the pumpkin one. Now, this whole idea is very strange to me because I've never met a single kid that wants to wear the same costume as everybody else. Yeah, but you also see people walking around in costumes, and it's very much... Like costumes were at the time when we've discussed it before, where if you were dressed up as a character, you had just like a an elastic string tied to a mask of that character, and then you wore a shirt that had a picture of that character on it, and then said the character's name. Like, that's just how those costumes were back then. So, having these pretty impressive masks for the time, sure. But, of course, this is all a play on commercialization and media brainwashing our children into telling them what they want, you know, in order to make money. Like, of course, it's all a commentary on that. So it kind of needs that element, but you're absolutely right. (laughs) There's no way this many, like, I'm sure it'd be a great big seller, but like, no, I demand this mask. (sighs) I must have this one mask. It's just a fucking (laughs) jack-o'-lantern. Nothing special about it. Or just a witch. The skeleton's probably the only one that actually looks legit cool. (laughs) And then everyone's wearing the same mask. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well. Anyway, it is a Saturday. October 23rd. And a man is being chased by a car. Driven by just these men in suits. (laughs) The man ends up killing one of the guys who comes after him, which is pretty great. 
but he also gets hurt. Yeah, he ends up finally making it to uh, a gas station where the attendant uh, takes him to the hospital. And at the hospital, we see on a TV screen, or maybe it's inside the gas station, I don't know, but we learn about the fact that one of the Stonehenge stones is missing. Yes, somebody scarpered off with a Stonehenge stone. Leaving British authorities still baffled and without any substantial clues nine months after the theft. The blue stone was one of 19, believed to represent the 19-year cycle of the moon. It weighs more than five tons, making its disappearance a mystery indeed. Derek Smith at Stonehenge. You might think that's going to be super important. It's not. It is. It's It's very important. They just won't mention it again for a good hour and 15 minutes. And when they do, it's like one line. Yeah, sure. We had a time getting it Yeah, you know, we'll get there. (laughs) So they come out to get to him, and he collapses. And then we meet... Tom Atkins' ex-wife, who is played by the chick from the original Halloween, which makes no sense because at one point in this film, somebody will turn the TV on and it will say the immortal classic Halloween, which doesn't make any sense because it was only a couple years old at that point. But that means that Halloween exists in this universe, which Uh means that his ex-wife is either that actress or she has a twin sister. Yes, Nancy Keys or Nancy Loomis. She played Annie in the original Halloween, and she has a brief cameo in Halloween 2. And she's in the fog. She is actually the wife of Tommy Lee Wallace, the writer-director, and she was pregnant at the time that they were filming this. She's apparently his ex-wife, and they're, they're talking about he got the kids' masks, but they don't want his masks that he got them because... Nancy Keys already got them the silver shamrock masks, the kids. And then they're arguing over who has the kids when, etc. And he immediately gets called in to the hospital because he's on call because that man we saw earlier was taken to his hospital. His name, by the way, is Dr. Dan Chalice. So he shows up at the hospital as this man is coming in and the commercial comes on and it wakes this man up. Harry is his name. And he says to Dr. Chalice, they're going to kill us all or something along those lines. They're going to kill us. All of us. All of us. And doesn't he have one of the masks? He has the pumpkin mask in his hand. Yes. So that night, even though he was just on call, I guess since his patient is there, Harry's sticking around. He's going to take a nap and, and he grabs the ass of his harass nurse. Yes. His nurse. Yes. He's much older than him. Yeah. And it's obviously supposed to be very playful and like there's nothing that's going to happen between them. He's not serious about any of it, but it's still very much sexual <laughs> harassment. Yes. And not okay. But they play well off of each other. I like this nurse. But that night. One of those men in suits shows up. <laughs> And they just gouge out this guy's eyes. Yeah, just digs a forefinger and thumb into his eye sockets, pinches the fingers together behind the bridge of the nose, and then rips it out. And you see all of that. Yeah. So when we talk about how Nigel Neal wanted his name off of it because the movie's gory, it's gory. Yeah. It's absolutely gory. The nurse comes in as this dude's walking out and she's like, what are you doing here? And then when she sees what happens, she screams 
And the guy's not concerned at all. No, he just walks away. The doctor wakes up and she points him towards the man. He just left. He killed the, the our patient. And as the Dr. Tom Atkins runs out of, out of the hospital, he sees the man get into his car and do what? Light himself on fire. Yeah, he pours gasoline all over himself and then he lights it up and then the car explodes. I feel nothing. <laughs> we should probably mention that Tom Atkins... Uh, his character is a drunk. I don't know if Tom Atkins himself is a drunk. <laughs> yeah, all of his characters seem to be alcoholics. Yeah. Uh, that night when the police are there, he just wants a drink. And then he's trying to talk to his ex-wife about how he can't take care of the kids. And she's like, yeah, oh, this is just another excuse. It's like a man died in the hospital. Doesn't that happen all the time? No, he was murdered. <laughs> Like, what about this? Don't you understand? Mm. Days later, he's getting a drink at a bar. Yeah, now it's Friday the 29th. Big time jump. Yeah. But we don't have any problem really tracking time because the commercial is going to keep coming up, telling us how many days till Halloween it is. <laughs> and this young woman comes into town. Her name is Ellie Grimbridge. She is the daughter of... Of Harry Grimbridge, the man who was murdered in the hospital. She doesn't feel right about this situation. And she talks to Tom Atkins about it. Because she wants to know if he said anything or knew anything. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, tell Ellie I love her. And, and she, Ellie's like, and she's you're, like a you're a bad liar. Yeah. <laughs> so they decide to go through his stuff. And she finds his date book. And on the day that he was killed or when it happened it says get more masks yes and they know he had that silver shamrock mask on his person when he came into the hospital so they decide to go and check it out the entire Why tom pretense, atkins feels the need yes the entire pretense of tom atkins going along boils down to two things number one it's that heroic manliness of if a woman's gonna go off finding out why her father was murdered I should be there to protect her. And number two, my patient was murdered and it's a mystery. And so as a responsible doctor, I must find out what happened. He also wants to have sex with Just her. Just the flimsiest of pretenses. Yes, absolutely. He wants to bone her. <laughs> so they drive out to Santa Mira, but not before Tom Atkins calls his ex up and says, I can't take the kids for Halloween. No, he'll be there for Halloween, but he won't be there until Halloween. Right, and she's super pissed, as well as she should be. Yeah. This this point right here, it's totally reasonable, but they go to Santa Mira. Now, Santa Mira is in another movie, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That movie takes place in Santa Mira. The reason this movie also takes place in Santa Mira is because apparently Deborah Hill considered... This movie, it was going to be a pod movie, not a knife movie, like the other Halloweens were. You know, it was, this is not a slasher film. This is an, an invasion of the body snatchers type pod movie where people are being replaced by robots. There's a one company that controls the whole town. Like somebody's watching all the time. It's supposed to be like that sort of paranoia flick and not like a slasher and so they ended up setting this in that same town. I don't know if I agree with that, but okay. Well, 
first of all, supposed to be and is are two different things. Good point. So what happens next? So when they get there, they immediately meet a family that's come up from San Diego, and they are awful people. The father is all about money, and the son is all about stuff, and the wife is a ditz. Yeah, Buddy Kupfer, his wife, Betty, and their son, Little Buddy. Buddy, Betty, Little Buddy? Yes. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. And there's another one, Marge Gutman. Now, Buddy and Marge own their own stores that sell these masks, and they're there in town to pick up and place new orders. Mm -hmm. Marge has to stay because her order has been messed up, apparently. Yeah. Damn factory! Got their orders all screwed up, now have to stay in this dump again. The family is there because they are apparently the number one seller in the country. Yeah. So they're going to get a special tour. Uh-huh. While there, uh, there's a curfew at six o'clock, so everybody's supposed to go inside. I and don't... who announces that curfew? A woman's voice? Jamie Lee Curtis. Really? Yes. She has two voice cameos in this movie. This is one of them. It's six o'clock. It's six o'clock. Curfew. Curfew. All residents of Santa Mira, please clear the street. Curfew is now in effect. Please confine your activities to your own homes. Thank you. Have a very pleasant evening. But, like, there's no reason for the curfew. Like, I don't get... Right, it is very unclear. Uh, So the town is under the control of the Silver Shamrock Corporation and its owner. And they control the curfew and everything. Other than the fact that it's supposed to show you that this town is under the thumb of this man who runs the corporation, you're right. There is no point for the curfew. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I don't get it. What's the end goal of the curfew? I don't know. It's but just it's, supposed to create a tone. Exactly. And create an atmosphere. Exactly. So then Tom Atkins and the girl have had sex. Okay. Yes, they do. <laughs> and there's a few things going on here. This is just like in the fog when all of a sudden it's like, oh, him and Jamie Lacardis had yes, sex. It, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. So th- there's plenty of things going on here. He says to her, maybe I ought to get another room because they're posing as a couple. Even the guy at the motel who gets their bags gets just one tiny little, like, it looks like a makeup case or some little day bag or something like that. And he's like, this is it? And she's like. Just like like in Psycho. Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly. And when they get to the room, Atkins is like, maybe I ought to get another room. Ellie says, that would look sort of suspicious, wouldn't it? He says, what I mean is, if it'd make you more comfortable, I can sleep in the car. It'd be a lot better than this floor anyway. Ellie says, where do you want to sleep, Dr. Chalice? <laughs> and then he says, that's a dumb question, Miss Grimbridge. Maybe I ought to get another room. That would look sort of suspicious, wouldn't it? What I mean is, if you'd uh, feel more comfortable, uh, I could sleep in the car. It'd be better in this floor anyway. Where do you want to sleep, Dr. Chalice? That's a dumb question, Miss Grimbridge. 
the thing. Tom Atkins is a catch. For sure. Tom Atkins, ladies man. He's kind of old. Like, yes. <laughs> I can't take it out of my mind that he was supposed to be old in Night of the Creeps. And then there's the fog in Halloween 3. They're like, nah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. So that's fan fucking tastic that they just get it on. <laughs> And then they're like, okay, well, now let's go out and we'll we'll check out the town. Let's go solve this mystery yes, uh-huh. about my dead father. While out and about, he finds a homeless guy. Yes. <laughs> Who hates the company and is thinking about blowing it up with Molotov cocktails. I got one thing to say. It's the last Halloween for that lousy factory of his. Pretty wild shit going on in there. I, I, I heard rumors. Like what? What'd you hear? This year, I'm gonna get me about a case and a half of Molotov cocktails. Burn that son of a bitch right now. Last Halloween for them. Anything else happen with him? That dude ends up getting killed by Is the that men right in now? suits. Or sometime after. It's not really important. Yeah. There's a lot of weird things in this movie that you're like, why was that? What? Yeah. <laughs> So while he's out getting drunk in a bar. Even though there's supposed to be a curfew. Yes. Well, he goes to a store and gets alcohol and then he talks to the homeless man or whatever. She's back at the motel and she's taking a shower. And then she gets out of the shower naked, puts on a towel over her shoulders just to walk to bed. And then gets under the covers. She has not dried herself at all. She just throws the comforter over her. Completely wet, because she's cold, obviously. And then when he comes home, home, back to the hotel room, she's wearing lingerie. Which begs the question, does she just carry lingerie with her in that day bag all the time? (laughs) I hope so. Is that taking up like a quarter of that bag at all times? Yes. (laughs) Because they weren't planning on taking this trip together. She, She plans ahead. Yes, so... While they're about to have sex again, because he comes home and they're having sex. Yeah, I wrote a lot of sex going on. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Marge Gutman is in the other room. She had complained to Ellie earlier, and she was very talkative. My name's Marge Gutman. You could reach out to me and blah, blah, blah. Next time you're in San Francisco or whatever. By the way, my name's Marge Gutman. My shop's on Union Square in San Francisco. You can't miss it. Why don't you look me up? Yeah, thanks. Bye. She was complaining that the, oh, the trademark just fell right off. It's this little silver shamrock medallion that's on the back of all the masks. And when she sets everything down in her hotel room, the medallion falls off on the floor and she doesn't notice it. She gets changed into this glittery fucking nightgown. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what this thing looked like? Mm-hmm. It was like a sort of shimmery mother of pearl, but like a dark. This movie is filled with weird things. Uh-huh. Weird little <laughs> details that you're like, why? She's sitting in bed and reading. And while they're in the other room getting it on, she stops reading and notices that that little medallion fell on the floor face down. And she sees on the back, there's some sort of microchip in it. So she picks it up, lies back down in bed, and toys around with it. Mm-hmm. And again, remember, Tom Atkins and Ellie are fucking in the other room. They finish, and then she's like, let's go again. 
And he's like, aren't you the least bit tired? She says, no. He asks, wait a minute. How old are you? (laughs) And she says, relax, I'm older than I look. She was 23 at the time. And how old was he? He was 47. So he was twice her age. More than. Just slightly more than, yeah. When he was her age, she didn't exist. Yeah. (laughs) So. Good God. So. (laughs) While they're getting it on. Marge is futzing around with that microchip, and all of a sudden, this laser light shines right into her face. That's what I wrote. Laser beam killed lady. Uh-huh. And she dies, and her face is kind of ripped up. And, and then a bug crawls out. Yes. Now, Marge Gutman was played by a woman named Garn Stevens, and she would not wear the mask. And so they got a body double to wear that mask. The mask, by the way, is fan-fucking-tastic. The one, the prosthetic of with the mouth all torn open and the eyes all, it's great. Why wouldn't she wear it? I don't know. Okay. So when she dies and there's this laser going on, Ellie says, wait, what was that? And Atkins says, who cares? And they keep fucking. (laughs) Garn Stevens, at the time was married to one Tom Atkins. The woman who died? Marge Gutman. is Tom Atkins' actual wife at the time. And while she's in the other room, supposed to look old and kind of, you know, whatever, and dying gruesomely, her husband is in the other room fucking somebody who's less than half his age. And when that somebody asks, what was that noise of the woman dying, his wife dying, he says, who cares? (laughs) Baller. (laughs) I just thought that that was a real funny little bit of trivia. So, like I said, all the sex stuff kind of all happens right here, but there's so much going on. How Tom Atkins feels about these things. I don't know. He seems like a cool dude. <laughs> please, please don't tell me he's awful in some way. I know. I really don't want him to turn out to be awful. <laughs> We've watched enough of his movies that we absolutely love him. It's true. <laughs> so they end up coming out because they're all taking away the the Marge lady. Large Marge. And <laughs> They're like, and he's like, hey, I'm a doctor. Let me help. And they're like, no, no. She'll get the best care ever that she could ever possibly want in our factory. Yes, Connell Cochran shows up. He's the man who owns Santa Mira because he owns the Silver Shamrock factory, which the whole town relies on. Silver Shamrock. Yes. And so he says, no, we have great medical facilities at our factory, and she'll get the best help there. And he's like, "Mm, (laughs) why? (laughs) Why? Like, I don't believe you. Why would you have these facilities at your factory? But whatever. Marge gets carted away, and Connell takes her. In his limousine, he follows along with the EMT truck. Yeah. He ends up asking one of the men in suits what happened, and he says, misfire. Misfire. Yes. 
I think it's the girl who asks Tom Atkins, do you want to leave? And he says, yes. And then they don't. Which again, like, why? Why was that there? (laughs) But they got to find out what's going on. When they get to the mask company the next day. Yes. It's a it's a fun line. Uh, the guy recognizes them from the hotel, and he's like, oh, hello, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Ah, oh, yes, of course, Smith. Like, uh-huh. they know from the get-go, nah, you're here for something else. Yes, but we, we also meet the secretary. Does she sound familiar to you at all? She had kind of a scratchy voice. Oh, there must be some mistake, dearie. Mr. Grimbridge himself picked up that order on the 21st. Here's his signature. I didn't notice. You won't probably know this, because I've honestly never seen the movie Hercules. The cartoon, Hercules. You've never seen it? Never seen it. She plays Atropos. Darling, hold that mortal's thread of life good and tight. She's also Flotsam and Jetsam from The Little Mermaid. Ha! For a sweet child, she has a very serious problem. If only there was something we could do. And she's Gozer from the Ghostbusters. Some creatures, Gozer the Gozerian, Gozer the Destructor, Volga Sildoha, the Traveler. That's her? Yeah, that's why her voice sounded so familiar. Then die. (laughs) Are you gods? Somebody asks you if you're a god, you say yes. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's her. I just thought that that was a fun little thing to throw in there. Interesting. Yeah. But Buddy shows up with his family. Yes, they are there for their special tour. And when they meet Tom Atkins and his quote unquote wife, they say, oh, can they come on the tour with us? And the guy's like, I guess. Right, yeah. Sure, I was just about to ask them. <laughs> yeah. We find out through him that this man used to be the king of practical jokes. He sold all kinds of gags. And mechanical do. dolls and things like that that run would run on their own. Then he started to do toys. Yeah. And then he came out with these masks. And he tells him it's the attention to detail that makes it so special. Yes. Then they walk by this door and they're like, hey, can we go in through there? And they're like, no, that's the final process. And they're like, well, what's the final process? And they're like, oh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Can't tell you all of our secrets. Yeah. And Buddy keeps pushing on this until finally Cochran has to say, listen, there's dangerous chemicals. You don't want the kids near as part of this final process. So, no, we're not going into this this last place. And when little buddy asks to take one of the masks that after production, Cochran says no. And when Betty asks why, he says, well, this one hasn't gone through final processing yet. Uh, hmm. Interesting. Okay, so you're telling me it needs to be exposed to these chemicals before these dangerous chemicals before my son can wear it? Yeah. (laughs) While they're there, they're they're walking around kind of outside and... You start to notice that there's a lot of those men in suits just awkwardly standing there. Yes. Ellie sees an open garage door and a car covered with a tarp of some sort, but it's not fully covered. She notices what looks like... 
her father's, her father's car. car, Harry Grimbridge. She tries to go into that room, but two men in suits stop her. And she's like, I could have sworn that that's my father's car. So they end up going back to the motel on their own. They're like, okay, let's let's get out of here. We're calling the authorities. Atkins tries to call somebody, whoever's in charge of this area, whoever it is, somebody has to be in charge that's not the man who runs the biggest business in town. So he tries to get a hold of somebody, and instead he just keeps getting the operator, who is Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> that's her other cameo in this movie. Yes, information. I I'm sorry, we cannot complete your call as dialed. Please hang up and check the number just and dial again. Day. But while he's on the phone, Ellie disappears. And then he is grabbed by the men in suits. And in the scuffle, it turns out that they're just robots. And so when he's brought back to the facility that night, Cochran reveals, yeah, no, these are all robots. It's an extension of these sort of like audio animatronics, like what Walt Disney made. Mm -hmm. But now they have minds and personalities and they can talk and they can move freely without being attached to anything and at one point atkins sees an old woman and then like touches her and her head falls off <laughs> and the dude's like that was an antique <laughs> so this is the moment when the bad guy tells the hero his entire plan yes and he basically gives him a tour of all the places he couldn't see before on his earlier tour advanced and ancient technology Yes. This is when they bring up the Stonehenge rock. Yes. And he says, we had a time getting it here. You wouldn't believe how we did it. Yes. And they just hang a lantern on that. An ancient sacrificial circle. Stonehenge. <laughs> we had a time getting it here. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how we did it. <laughs> <laughs> And that's it. That's all you get. <laughs> so stupid. He says, from an ancient sacrificial circle, Stonehenge. And we see this big Stonehenge rock. And there's like scientists with notepads and other things gauging readings around it. And you can see there's chunks taken out of it. And, and in this big, like, airplane hangar, basically, there's all these computer setups. And what's happening is they're using the power of, of the Stonehenge, which was used to like, it was a sacrificial circle, they would sacrifice children there. And it was part of this ancient druidic thing. That's what we find out Cochran is all about. He's a descendant of these druids. And it's time for another sacrifice, because all the planets are aligned again. And so he's going to carry out the greatest sacrifice there ever was. He's going to kill tons and tons of children. How is he going to do this? He shows Tom Atkins this process. Buddy, Betty, and little buddy are there, and they're going to take part in some sort of survey. They don't know what. And they're put into a room that looks like a fake living room. And little buddy is given one of these masks. And they tell him to put it on, and they're going to do something special with it. Yes. On the TV. And so they show that commercial again. And... Get 
And then the screen starts flashing with this image of the pumpkin that we saw in the very beginning of the movie. And the kid starts freaking out. And then he's grabbing at the mask. And then he falls to the floor. And we can see the mask is like old and moldy, like an old molded pumpkin might be. And his his face is all fucked up inside the mask, what we can see of it. And there's all these bugs and snakes, and snakes that come out of it, including rattlesnakes. And the parents are freaking out, and they try to get out, but the door's locked. And then the mom passes out from shock and then gets covered in all these bugs. The dad gets bitten by the rattlesnake, and so he falls down dead, and they both die. Why the buddies would stick around for this survey on Halloween, when the whole reason they're there is to, yes, tour the facility, but also pick up an order? Weren't they supposed to take that order back to sell it for Halloween? It doesn't make a lot of sense, but... Well, I mean, you've sold what you're going to sell. I don't think you're going to sell anymore on the day of... Right, but when Marge tried to make another future order, this is a little foreshadowing, they wouldn't take her order. That's why I think the buddies were staying was because he kept saying, like, he won't let me take my... my, He won't take my new order. Yeah, but the reason we know is because they're, he's not planning right. on continuing but the I'm business. But I'm saying that's why they stayed. Right, but should like this is happening at like five o'clock on Halloween night. They're not going to make it back home with that order they just picked up. Like what? Anyway, doesn't matter. It's just another inconsistency. So they put Atkins in a room, strapped to a chair. Facing televisions that are going to show this commercial that's going to air at 9 o'clock that night and do that to all the kids, which are told to be home at 9 after their horrorthon, which is just them playing the first Halloween movie. You see it. They play the and you see it's it's just a commercial for Halloween. Uh, but once the movie's over with at 9 o'clock, they're going to have a special giveaway, a big giveaway. And you got to be there and wearing your masks. And so that's what's going to compel all these kids to sit in front of their TVs with the masks on. On Halloween night. On Halloween night, yes. But he's there, strapped to a chair, looking at one of these TVs, and they put one of the masks on his head. When he asks him why, why are you doing this? What does Cochran say? I think the whole thing is a big joke. Yeah, I do love a good joke, and this is the best ever. A joke on the children. Why, Cochran? Why? Do I need a reason? Mr. Cuffer was right, you know. I do love a good joke, and this is the best ever. A joke on the children. But there's a better reason. And then he goes in a long time talking about the ancient tradition of Samhain, or Samhain is how you actually pronounce it in the Celtic. And he tells this whole long story about how sacrifices led to their prosperity, and now all the planets are aligned, and that's where he gives everything away, right before he just leaves him in a room to die. Mm-hmm. Of course, that doesn't work out. He ends up wiggling free, and he throws a mask on the camera, which which also took a very long time to film. 
because when they were trying to figure out that he was going to do it, Tommy Lee Wallace, the director, was just like, oh, let's just throw it on the camera. And he does it and he got it on the first try. So he thought, oh, this is going to be easy. And <laughs> apparently it took him like dozens of takes to get that shot of him throwing <laughs> the, the mask onto the camera. <laughs> but he does that and all their eventually they see it and they're like, no, there's something wrong with the camera down there. And when they go down, they realize he's gone. Where is he? What is he doing? He is destroying their machinery with their own computer chips. Yes. He escapes in the ducks. He finds a box full of those chips. He climbs into the rafters in this airplane hangar where they're all working that night. And the Stonehenge rock is right there. He goes up to one of these computer terminals, which look like something out of a sci-fi movie from the 40s. You know, it's just a bunch of lights and switches. Nothing's labeled. Yep. And and he manages to flip a few switches and it just plays the commercial. And then he climbs up to the rafters and he pours the box of these chips down over them. And as they're twinkling and falling and the commercial's playing, the chips start firing. But they're not firing lasers. They just start sparking as they're falling through the sky. And since they're not humans, I guess it just short circuits all the robots and causes like their heads to explode and shit like that. (laughs) And since Cochran wasn't wearing one of the masks and it wasn't anywhere near him, he's standing on the floor going, what the fuck is going on? And then he looks up at Atkins and just does kind of kind of one of those like, all right, got to hand it to you. Sort of like clap things. And then the circle of these computer terminals with all these chips in it and the Stonehenge rock right there start glowing. And then this magic circle spins around it. And then it just kind of poofs him out of existence. He just disappears. (laughs) Fine. So Atkins finds Ellie, who was strapped to a gurney or something like that in another room. And they get into, I think it might be her dad's car. I'm not sure. And they drive away. And while they're driving away, he's like, oh, we got to stop this. She attacks him and they crash into a tree. And he discovers because her arm has been torn off that it's just robotic. Mm -hmm. Question for you. Has Ellie been a robot this whole time? Is she a fuckbot? No. Okay. So she was replaced. Yes. I agree, because she has a human dad and everything. Well, if, okay, if you want to believe that theory, then it could just be that he didn't even have a daughter. But here's the thing. Oh, I guess he never did say anything about a daughter, did he? Yeah. But But then that would mean she's a fuckbot. But more than that. Uh Uh-huh. Why the fuck would they want anyone to come up there? Right, exactly. That doesn't make any sense. No, no, you're right. They had done everything they needed to do. Why send another person to get somebody else involved? So that wouldn't make sense. And she takes a shower when she's alone. Like, why would she need to do that? Mm -hmm. Anyway, so she's replaced. So they just replaced her with a completely accurate life. Hey, they have magic. Within a couple of hours. Now, it's funny that you say that because this might all sound really, really confusing. But apparently the director at a convention a couple years ago, he was asked to explain like, hey, what's the connection here? We have Stonehenge. We have Ireland. We have robots. We have laser beams that do one of two things. (laughs) They either turn your head into bugs or they short circuit robots. (sighs) What's going on? And Wallace said, it's magic, man. (laughs) (laughs) That was his response. (laughs) 
which I really like. So he ends up decapitating this Ellie version of a robot, and there's a really bad effect mm-hmm. where her head's there next to her body, and it's obvious that she her body's buried underground with her head sticking out with this little skin flap thing to make it look like she's decapitated. And there's another actress with her head underground, just the exact reverse. It's so obvious, but it's funny because the car's broken. He has to run off on foot. He has to warn people about this. He has to stop it because while he stopped everything at the factory, the commercial's still going to play. So he's running off on foot just like Harry was. So who does he run into? That same gas station attendant that Harry ran into. And he runs into the gas station and he tries to use that man's phone to call these stations. Now, keep in mind, this is 1982. There are only three major stations that are playing this commercial. So he has to call all these affiliates to get them to stop airing the commercial. And we're seeing a montage of all these kids out trick-or-treating all over the place. There's even kids that come into this gas station and turn on the TV in there. And we see Atkins' kids at home with the TV on. And he finally gets them to turn it off. But he gets the first station and the second station, but not the third. And as the commercial is playing... He screams for them to stop it. Take off the third channel, the third channel. It's still running. Stop it, please. For God's sake, please stop it. There's no more time. You've got to... Please stop it. Stop it now. Turn it off. Turn it off. Stop it. 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 As his scream kind of fades out, that's the end of the movie. That's how the movie ends. Some people like to say that you don't know what happened. What do you think happened? Do you think he was successful? I... Not that it really matters, but I think it adds to the intrigue. Well, the thing is, is that we don't know how it works. Like, is it the first second that they see it that it works? Or does it need to take time? Because if it needs to take time... Well, we saw it take place. It happens over time, but not a long period of time. It starts to play. He says, stop it. Cuts. So let's say if somebody was to stop it after that cut, they still had time to stop it. Let's just say that. Was he successful, do you think? Or do you think the movie's trying to imply that he was not? I think the movie's implying that he was not successful. You would be right. Because there is a novelization by Dennis Etchison of Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. And it specifically says that he fails. <laughs> And the whole movie ends with commenting on the endless screams of dying children could be heard, quote, throughout the station, the town, and the land beyond. That's how the book ends. Okay. Important question. Yeah. And the whole movie falls apart. What? We see that this thing, that these masks have been disseminated everywhere. Yeah. We are told that it's a national commercial. Yes. There are three time zones in the contiguous United States. We are on the West Coast, where his family is, and we know that it's happening 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock Western, so Pacific Standard Time or Pacific Daylight Time. I can't remember what it is at Halloween. That means that he's already failed on the East Coast and Central United States. There you go. But of course he didn't, because after it would have happened on the East Coast, it wouldn't have happened in the middle of America, and it wouldn't even be a problem 
for the West Coast. It's just that the filmmakers didn't fucking think about the fact that there are time zones. Awesome. So you just kind of have to not think about that. Mm -hmm. Just think about how the whole country is all, it's nine o'clock across the country. (laughs) But that also means that his children die and that gives a personal connection to him. Mm -hmm. And it's not just him trying to save the children of America. It's the children of America and his kids. So despite the fact that Connell Cochran dies, he was successful. Do you have anything for lightning round? No. I will say one thing I promised I would tell you. We hear the Silver Shamrock theme 14 times in the movie. Yeah, you hear it a lot. A lot. We hear it in the gas station, in the hospital, in a bar, in the test room when the buddies are there. It's placed at the end. You hear it multiple times in multiple places, 14 times. And it is one of those earworm songs that annoy the crap out of you. Mm-hmm. They just get stuck in your head. Mm-hmm. One more day till Halloween, Halloween. Jesus. <laughs> so, Kelsey, with uh, all that said, what do you think this movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? I think I know. Okay. Is it 42? It is 42. The consensus being, it's laudable deviation from the series formula notwithstanding, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch offers paltry thrills and dubious plotting. 42 kind of felt a little bit low to me, but its Metacritic is 50. It has no cinema score. Roger Ebert added this to his most hated list of films. Ooh, ouch. Right? I assume it's because he liked Halloween so much. Well, yeah. So, do you think 42 is overrated or underrated? Or a 50 Metacritic? I didn't hate it anywhere near as much as I thought I hated it. Okay. I hated it the first time I saw it. Yeah. I don't know if I've seen it since then, but seeing it now, I'm like, it's not nearly as bad as I remember it being. And there's that kitsch factor, you know? I think, honestly, I I think, you know how you just said Ebert probably hated it because of how much he loved Halloween. That's probably how I felt when I first saw it. Yeah. So I was like, what the fuck is this? And I guess now we know there are so many other Halloween movies, and there's some legitimately good ones after this. Mm-hmm. There are some terrible ones, but there are some legitimately good ones. So it's not that much of a downside that one of them happens to be so off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the, there, there are things that are okay about it. There's some really, really stupid things in it. But there's some remarkable shit, like the fucking bridge of the nose thing. That's yeah. brutal. Yeah. I was remembering the entire plot incorrectly. In my mind, it was that he wanted to take over the world and his plan was through Yeah, masks. I think you might have mentioned that on a previous episode. And bugs and snakes. Um, And now seeing it this time, it's like, oh, no, it was just a sacrifice. He just wanted to kill kids. That makes it make way more sense. So I'll give it a 50. Okay. I liked it more than that, obviously, but I don't think it's an incredible movie. It is a fun movie. I will give it a 62. Okay. I mean, it's nowhere near Halloween 1. It's boring. Right. But I, I think this is just so much fun. And part of it is the subversion of expectations in that it is centered. It's number three in a series and you're like, what the fuck? Part of that is a lot of fun. So I'll say this. I'm excited for four and five. Yes. Kelsey really likes the ones about the little cousin. Mm-hmm. 
I know most people hate him, but I... And and then you get into the druid shit, too. Uh, Okay. (laughs) We're going to get there in future years. Yes. All right. That is 1982's Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Before we get into our next film, Kelsey, horror trivia. What 2016 movie finds a group of thieves trapped inside a house they are trying to rob and discover the owner is not just a blind, helpless victim? Don't breathe. Correct. Which was a pretty good flick, except for the fact that it goes places towards the end. It's not a perfect movie, but surprised at uh, how much I enjoyed that one. Enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Kelsey. Yeah. The tagline of the original film in the Halloween franchise, is The Night He Came Home. Just so you're aware, the tagline for the second one is The Nightmare Isn't Over. Oh. What is the tagline for Halloween 3? The Night They Came Home? Close. It's The Night Nobody Comes Home. Ah. Except the problem is you have to come home to watch the commercial on TV. That's why I thought this they was going. That's they, send, they send a car by with speakers saying, get home by nine o'clock. Like the whole point is people need to be home. So it's totally off base. But it is, yes, a play on the original The Night He Came Home. All right, Kelsey, that leads us into our next film, which is 2018's The Nun. Story by James Wan and Gary Doberman. Screenplay by Gary Doberman. Directed by Corin Hardy. Starring Damien Bashir, Thaisa Farmiga, and Jonas Bloquet. What is The Nun all about? A convent in Romania has had a tragedy occur. And for some reason, the Vatican is very interested in this particular convent. So they send their priest detective over there. Uh-huh. Along with a nun who has not yet taken her vows, and they look into the mystery. Yes. This is, of course you know, the darkest chapter in the Conjuring universe. (laughs) So dumb. (laughs) That nun is played by Thaisa Farmiga. Now, there are three connections. This is a bonus trivia question for you. There are three connections between Lorraine Warren in The Conjuring and... Sister Irene in The Nun. They're sisters. That is one. Lorraine Warren is played by Vera Farmiga. Sister Irene is played by Thaisa Farmiga, her younger sister. The other two are character traits. What are they? I mean, because basically Sister Irene is like a stand-in for a younger version of Lorraine Warren. They kind of wanted that character again. And they kind of do that with this. Oh, she can see and speak to ghosts. Yeah, she's clairvoyant. Yeah. She sees the future. She can see ghosts, all that. And this one seems kind of obvious. They're devout Catholics. Oh, okay. (laughs) Now, the movie is also free on HBO Go and HBO Now. You can't rent it, but you can buy it for $8 on Vudu and $10 on iTunes. Should people watch this movie? I'd watch it if it's free. It wasn't nearly as bad as everyone said it was. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It wasn't great. No, but I mean, we went in with, of course, like we said last week, low expectations, thinking maybe it'll work out for us if we anticipate this movie being bad. It is not nearly as bad as people say it is. Yeah, it's really, really not. Not, like I said, it's not great. Like, I feel like it's around the same level as Halloween 3. Like, 
there's parts of it I can enjoy, and then there's parts of it I think are kind of dumb. Yeah, and I would say, considering it's a movie all about nuns and the Catholic faith, the movie's greatest sin is that it takes itself way too seriously. It should have had a lot more fun with what it was doing. It had its head kind of up its own ass. And I think that's where it falters. Trying to make it the darkest chapter in the Conjuring universe. <laughs> like, we didn't need all that. Just tell the story. There's some cool shit in this movie. Yeah. And it, think- if you if you have HBO Go or HBO Now, watch it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, if it's free, I'd watch it. Yeah, totally. If you have to pay 8 to $10... It's not as good as The Conjuring. It's not as good as Insidious. This is not directed by James Wan. Keep that in mind. Yeah. But, yeah, if you can see it for free, sure. You can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 2018's The Nun. The darkest chapter in The Conjuring universe. On September 7th, witness the darkest chapter The Defiler in The Conjuring universe. I had a series of visions when I was younger. And after each one, the same thought would be stuck in my head. What did you see? I saw none. chapter in the conjuring universe kelsey can you get us started what happens at the beginning of the nun well it's 1952 in romania it says that the following occurred in 1952 at an abbey that has lots and lots of crosses all over the walls and it has smoke in one room (laughs) (laughs) every time you walk through it there's smoke there and they are it is two nuns and they are walking to a door One of the nuns has some ancient relic, and she needs to go down this hallway. I need to ask you. What's happening here? Because don't they just need to lock the door? No, the door is locked. The problem is they think that there's damage inside, and that something may have gotten out, and they need to check on that. That's my understanding. Okay. And so they go inside this door that says, God ends here in Latin, and... Sure enough, that is what happened. It's it's one older nun and one younger nun. The older nun says lock the door or whatever and tries to give it give the key back to her. She gets as she gets dragged in, and then the younger nun freaks out. The older nun also says, "You know what you have to do." Yeah. And the younger nun says, "I can't," and she says, "Well, then we're lost." Yes. We don't find out later what she has to do. No, we. Mm. We know that she kills herself. We don't know that that is what the nun was talking about. I thought that's exactly what you meant the whole time. Like, they kept trying to turn into a mystery. And I was like, it's not a fucking mystery. She killed herself so it didn't have a body to take over. Why is this not easy to figure out? Because the movie doesn't tell you. Huge spoilers for the movie, but it's okay. You should have seen it. The movie doesn't tell you that there aren't any nuns there. It goes out of its way to tell you that this is still a populated nunnery. I guess. And so the idea that that this young nun is the last nun left is not introduced to you until way later in the movie. But yes, it does kind of seem like... Incredibly obvious? Well, no, what, what you're supposed to think is when she says, I can't do it, 
that, kills herself because she can't do whatever it is. she can't do whatever it is she has to do. But killing herself is what she has to do. Was anyone confused by that? No, I think it's kind of up in the air. It wasn't for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I still don't understand because she says you have to do this thing. So she runs off and kills herself. But she doesn't close and lock the door. Which again, I'm like, isn't that what this is for? Right. Don't we need to lock the door? <laughs> Yeah, and... So confused. I did say, too, oh, come on, suicide is an unforgivable sin. You know this. Like, you're a nun. There's no way to support your argument. There's no way that a, that a nun, in her conviction, would kill herself. She would know, with her beliefs, sh that she would go to hell. Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So to support your argument, it does kind of seem like that is what she didn't want to do. Well, yeah, again... I know that. Uh, like, I was right. like, the only reason anyone would do that is because she doesn't want anybody to take over her body. And while she's standing there, she looks behind her and a cross on one of the walls rotates and turns upside down. A cross. Which is what the nun did in Conjuring 2. We're not doing a good job of telling you why this movie is actually not that bad. Yeah. But. And then it, it catches on fire, though. So they're raising stakes. Because the, the intro isn't great. <laughs> So this whole thing takes place in Romania, and all the filming was actually done in Romania in various parts. There's Corvin Castle. That's fun. Uh, which is in Hunadora, I guess is how you pronounce it. And then there's Sigasora in Transylvania. And then there's Mogasoa Palace, which is near Bucharest. So the whole thing is actually filmed in Romania, but they did get something very wrong about the location. We find out that the Abbey is damaged because of German bombing in World War II. Yes. Romania was part of the Axis powers. They were actually allied with Germany. It would have been Russia or England or somebody like that that would have been bombing. Oh, but interesting. that probably would have seemed really bad. <laughs> then just don't put it in Romania. Right. I guess it could have been anywhere. But Romania's creepy. They had a monarchy. And then they were overthrown by a more representative government, but then that government was actually a fascist political power. And so then they teamed up with Italy and Germany against the Allied powers. So I don't know that they ever said that it was German bombs. They did say, yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I and it looks really cool when she jumps out the window. I mean, I'm I'm putting on the episode already, like serious content warning for suicide here that the rope is so fucking long that she uses to hang herself out the front. And so she it's, it's a great visual effect where she just lands right in the middle of like the entryway. But why would the rope be that long? Why would you even tempt fate that it wouldn't be too long? Who right? knows? And then you just break your legs. Like in midsummer. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, anyway so back to i think it's america i don't know if they ever tell us where she is she is in england she's in england even though she doesn't have an english accent no she is american okay she's american she's in england studying to become a nun and there's the priest who is in vatican city which is in rome Yes, and they 
are asking him to investigate. Now, they don't like him very much. He hasn't been to the Vatican in a very long time. I should probably uh, say his name. His father, Burke, is uh, Damien Bashir. They don't like him very much because he does – he's one of those handlers that does the dirty work but, you know, kind of makes them look bad. Well, Thaisa isn't liked either because she doesn't wear her habit. And right. she challenges. She's way too liberal. Yeah, she challenges the church when it comes to science because she's one of the nuns who believes that there can be a balance between science and religion. Right, that, that God created all these sciences. But this a lot is of. how his world works. But a lot of religious people just want to say that science is wrong. So. Right. And the Vatican says, we're sending you on a mission. You were to investigate this abbey where there was a suicide you know, determine what's going on. Uh, and you're going to take this American nun. Here's my problem. I get that it's supposed to be a fate thing that she's there. But why is it that the Vatican knows exactly who to send? Well, because the reason she wants to become a nun is because when she was a child, she had all of these visions. Uh-huh. And that priest at the Vatican helped her as a child discover that it was God talking to her. Oh, the priest at the Vatican did? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. Not Damien Bashir. No. No, yeah. They are friends, though. So that is why he tells Got him, it. go okay. and get this girl. Got it. Yeah, because it seemed like a whole, oh, it's the Vatican chooses her. But it's like in when you when you look at it externally – and dispassionately, why would the Vatican send this human being? It wouldn't make a lot of sense. But it does make sense if he knows who she is already, and he knows that she sees visions. And Why he understands that her vision was – because she had a recurring one where it was Mary shows the way or whatever the fuck it is. Why he knows that that specifically is for this particular abbey in Romania, they don't, they don't explain right. to us. Yes. But that's – Religious power knowledge, I guess. Yeah. So we have Father Burke, who is a handler for the Roman Catholic Church, and novitiate Sister Irene, who is an American. I said novitiate. She's training to be a nun, but has yet to take her vows. And they go to Romania together to investigate. So they meet a guy, and his name is Frenchie. Because he's French, but secretly he's French-Canadian. <laughs> but he doesn't want anybody to know that. <laughs> he takes them to the Abbey because he's the one who found the dead body. He would come to the Abbey and bring supplies because the nuns were never allowed to leave the Abbey. We come to find out that he never actually even saw any of the nuns. Yes, he leaves the food and supplies in a storage room. In like a, uh, you know, where they would keep things cool. So it's underground and it's designed to be cool and keep all the all the supplies cool. He'd leave it there and he'd leave. And then the nuns would come in through another door and they never actually leave the building at all, which is interesting because there is a cemetery outside. So who handles the cemetery duties? Who knows? But he takes them there, and oh, the horse won't go any further. Oh, we should probably say here that they put their luggage on a truck when they think that's where Frenchie is taking them. 
And then the truck drives away and you can see Frenchie's on a horse and carriage and he stops the guy. He whistles to him and he stops the truck in order to get their luggage back. The license plate says Valak on that truck. Ah. Why that would be the case. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense, but it's fun. It's just a little reference. That's all it is. It's an Easter egg. So he takes them and then they have to walk the rest of the way. They see the cemetery. They see that they have bells. And I'm sure you guys have heard this. There, There's a mechanism where the bell feeds into the casket to where if somebody was actually buried alive, they would ring the bell and you would know to dig them up. It's common practice during the plague for people fear to be buried alive. If you were fortunate enough for it to happen, you could ring the bell to let those above ground know they have made a mistake. That's actually where they think the idea of a vampire comes from. Really? They would find scratch marks inside the coffin. Uh Uh-huh. That would show you that the person wasn't dead. But people believe that they came back from the dead instead? Yes, something like that. I'm not getting it totally right Well, this does take place in Romania, so... That would be Transylvania. Transylvania is in Romania. Oh! Like I said, part of this is filmed in Transylvania. No, it's a region in Romania. So anyway, he takes them to the front step and... The gore that's there, the blood, and what would absolutely be shit as well, is bigger than when he was last there. And he doesn't know why. And then he takes him down into where he leaves all the supplies to see the dead body. But something has changed. Yes, the dead body has moved. He had put it lying down and is now sitting up. The priest is like, well... There have been cases of bodies that have moved once they've died, and they're like, yeah. But it doesn't sit up. Yeah, not like this. <laughs> it doesn't just go from laying down to sitting up and leaning back against the wall and holding a key. So Father Burke takes the key out of her hand and ends up snapping off one of her fingers in the process. And they just, they have this key now, and they don't know what it goes to. A couple of other things I want to point out that we've missed in this introduction, sure. the Frenchie guy is hitting on Thaisa, and Thaisa is not stopping him. She no. is not telling him that she is a nun. But, I mean, she's not interested either. She's just like... She's not doing anything to right. dissuade the young man. At some point, he calls her sister or something, and then she quickly says, I haven't taken my vows yet. To which Father Burke says, what about your temporary vows? And she's like, oh, yeah. I think she was enjoying being flirted with. Wow, I didn't get that at all. That's interesting. (laughs) Father Burke explains that the reason that they have come is to investigate whether or not the ground is still holy. Yes. To which Frenchie says, I'm pretty sure I can answer for that, Father. Uh And I'm like, yeah, the whole audience can answer for that. (laughs) And then they ask him, why have you never seen any of these nuns? Why does no one ever come up here? And he's like, yeah, you try talking to the townspeople about it. All they're going to do is spit. Spit? Why? To ward off evil. Yeah, it's one of those things when you mention anything that might be evil. Like, you know, we might have a superstition of knocking on wood. Theirs is you spit. You might have seen that in, you know, older European cultures. And when they first go in... They convince Frenchie to go first because they're a little bit afraid. And uh-huh. Frenchie's obviously afraid, but Frenchie won't admit it. So well, he also doesn't, he's not totally into the whole religious thing anyway. But to these people, it, this place is sacred. But so he goes in first 
And it's supposed to be kind of funny because they get him to do it because he's like, oh, I'm not afraid, even though he totally is. Uh-huh. But then when they're inside, did you notice Father Burke is first? No, yeah. <laughs> really bothered Shit me. Shit like that happens all the time in movies, though. <laughs> but they made like a big deal about uh-huh. the fact that Frenchie needed to go first. Mm-hmm. And then Father Burke is in front of him. So they go inside the actual abbey and they're just kind of going to walk through it. When Thaisa is fairly certain she has found a person just sitting in the room with them. Hello? 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 Bob? Phil? Answer me! <laughs> and then eventually it does speak. But we never get to see what's underneath this, this black veil. So this is the abbess. She's basically the head nun in charge of the whole place. And she stays in what amounts to effectively like a throne in the middle of this room. The abbess tells them a couple of things. First off, during the night, the whole abbey is closed. Uh, You can't enter or exit. They have a vow of silence, so they don't talk at nighttime, except for... There is a nun at all times praying. So they take it in shifts to just be praying all the time. And that's constant to keep vigil. Yes, a constant vigil. To uh, keep away evil spirits. Yes. She explains to them that there is lodging in the convent that they can stay in so they don't have to go down to the town again. Although Frenchie doesn't stay. Frenchie leaves. He gets attacked on his way back, but he manages to survive. It's the nun who he saw was hanged. Yes, who's just, like, there. And he totally sees it. It's not, like, a spooky thing. No, she drops right in front of him. Which is kind of shocking and surprising. It was a pretty good jump scare, I thought. Father Burke and Sister Irene have a conversation. This is when we find out about Father Burke's history. Yes, can you talk about his history? Well, there's this boy. Named Daniel. That had a demon inside of him. And Father Burke was sent there to exercise the boy. And according to the Vatican Church, the exorcism was a success. Yes. But but not for Father Burke. Because Daniel died. Daniel is driving tonight on a plane. (laughs) I can see the red taillights headed for Spain. Oh, and I can see Daniel waving goodbye. Okay, anyway. This is also where we learn about her visions and why the priest picked her to come. Yes, she would hear visions specifically, well, she would see visions, uh, but they would always end with the phrase, the same phrase every single time, Mary points the way. What were your visions? There were many. Never the same one repeated. But after each one ended, the same thought would be stuck in my head. Which was? What? Mary points the way. So that night, Burke sees Daniel. Only after he tells the story of Daniel. Almost like he revealed something to this dark spirit. And now this spirit is going to use it against him. So he sees Daniel and he tries to follow him. And he ends up falling into an open grave. Your eyes have died. 
but they see more than I. Daniel, you're a star. <laughs> In the face of the sky. <laughs> And he, it, it's like it happens magically, of course. Uh, and I thought it was kind of a cool effect, but all of a sudden he's not only fallen into a grave, he's fallen into a casket and been buried there. Now, I hate that part because it's really? fucking stupid. <laughs> well, be- because it looks like it hasn't been recently dug up. No, it's just, it's just like all of a sudden there's an open grave. All of a sudden he's in it. All of a sudden it's it's all completely straight and i get it it's magic it's man. magic man i get it but like no but the point is there was no open grave originally it opened up and swallowed him in like that's the whole point there's some fun things going on here though like there's a giant shadow on the wall at one point which i enjoyed oh is this the one where the it's basically the same shadow thing from conjuring 2 i wrote down around this point that Irene sees a shadow of a nun walking across the wall, and it's basically the same effect that they did in the oh, in Conjuring it? 2. Yeah. There's also some red lighting, which is fun, but the music isn't great here. And also the nun, when it becomes the evil nun, uh-huh. it's just it's a du- it's a dumb villain. So this is kind of the moment where I where I I think I realized what my problem was when I said earlier that its greatest sin is that it takes itself too seriously. The problem with haunting movies in general, and I know Kelsey loves haunting movies, so hopefully she'll agree with me on this. The problem with haunting movies in general is that you can never tell what's real and what's just a scare that's not going to hurt them at all. So you wind up just waiting for the movie to tell you, which effectively relieves all tension from the moment because it's not like a guy with a knife coming after you okay well what if that guy with a knife could just be nothing and it's just a puff of smoke and just disappears and you're not actually in danger that doesn't make it more scary it completely takes the tension away from the moment and you just got okay i guess i'm just gonna sit here until something actually happens and i know it was real or not that's my problem with haunting movies how good haunting movies get around it is they make all the things that happen interesting not just trying to scare you but make it interesting and there's some really interesting stuff going on here some of it not so much though some of it they're trying to create a tense moment where for like a minute long somebody's just running away from something and it's like this thing might not even be real it probably even isn't so like why am i scared right now (laughs) so it does have those moments too and it kind of waffles back and forth on this when she does see that nun though i said it it actually does feel like a big deal to the universe. Um, the darkest chapter in the Conjuring universe. <laughs> she says, oh, God. And there are these droning chants that happen when the nun's there. I think the music is really good at that point. Where it's funny because I said the music is not good here. Uh, yeah, no. it's. I think it's very effective because it's like super dramatic. You know, what you might think to be medieval droning chants Happen. And I would be fine with it if it was on a smaller scale. I think they overdid it. No, I, I I think what they get right is it only happens when the nun is there. Not any of these other ghostly spirits or apparitions or visions or anything like that. When the nun is present, you get this droning. And I liked that. I thought that was cool. My biggest problem is that sometimes the other nuns are going to be good and kind to her and helpful. 
And I get it. She's at a place of God. And so God is still present, even though the place is now unholy because it's been tainted by this evil demon. Uh huh. But sometimes the nuns are tricks for the demon. And sometimes it's just God helping her. And that's just fucking stupid. Right. It's very unclear. And they get the same nuns. You might notice that we're not, except for the abbess, we're not referring to any of the nuns by name because they're kind of interchangeable. And unfortunately, like you say, they're interchangeable as to whether or not they're good or bad. Which is bullshit. Yeah. Because as we've already said really early on, we kind of spilled the beans that there are no nuns here. None of these nuns are real. So it has to be one or the other. Who created these visions? Is it the demon? Is it God? I think it's supposed to be both. And I think what we're supposed to get out of it is that there's a little bit of a war going on between the That's godly present and the demonic presence. What I was reading is that it was the demon. The demon provided them support and then yanked it away to give them distress oh, and that would make me so mad if that was the if that was the explanation that's that's what i that's what i thought because what happens at a certain point is everyone knows that something's wrong because i know we're kind of going out of time with the actual plot but that's fine whoever is giving vigil is really panicky and freaking out because there's another one down on the ground that's dead and that person can't get help can't see to the other nun and then all these other nuns start showing up and they're all giving vigil and the whole abbey starts shaking. And when the demonic power shows up, it throws them all against the wall to express that, yeah, none of this shit works, right? You should feel hopeless. But then it turns out that none of the nuns were there, which would imply that the whole reason they existed is to show how easily they could be defeated and make sister irene hopeless yeah but then as she continues to pray they eventually get up and start praying again yeah and then which tells me again no father burke comes in and he's like hey what's going on she's like we're praying and he's like we right and make to make her feel crazy i feel like it's god versus the devil that's a completely reasonable explanation that's just not how i read into it in the moment so i think it's interesting that maybe the movie should have been more clear on this but i think either interpretation is an interesting one but i hate yours fuck you i hate your, <laughs> no i for a long time that's what i thought was going on and uh-huh. i was like that is bullshit it wasn't until i started to think and it, it really wasn't until that moment when the nuns came back up and started helping her again i was like oh i see so it's it's god versus this demonic presence and the demonic presence is winning because a lot of what God has tried to do in this mm-hmm. pres- in this place has not been working. Yeah. Which is why they need a live person in there to do right. it. Right. But then again, Father Burke comes in and reveals to her, yeah, that hope you just felt, that they got back up and started praying again, doesn't exist. But I don't think that's the point that he makes, and I don't think that's what she- the conclusion that she comes to. Mm. Interesting. Totally reasonable. That's one of this movie's faults, is it's not... Totally clear. Totally clear, yeah. We didn't mention that Sister Irene, she ends up saving Father Burke, who's been buried, and he's trying to ring the bell. He ends up getting attacked by something that's in the casket with him. Yeah, it's the nun. And all the bells around Thaisa are ringing. But with the power of God, she is able to find To quiet all the ones that are fake. And just the real one that's actually ringing. And And again, that's why I'm saying it's God versus... 
the yeah, devil. Th- I think that's really cool. If the movie could have established that more firmly, I think it would have been a lot better. And in the moment, you didn't like the bells moment. I, re- I remember. I thought it was really cool. I think it's a thing that kind of a lot of people know about, but I don't think anyone's really done anything with really in very many movies. It's not like a trope. So I thought it was kind of nice to see that in this where the context actually made sense. You know, we're in Eastern Europe. We're in a sort of medieval structure. Like the context made sense that this would be there. And it's something that you don't see all the time, but you have some familiarity with the concept. So I thought that was pretty effective, actually. Spirits, let us know you're here by ringing the bell. bell. I wish I could remember the actual rhyme. Disney fans, you know what she's talking about. (laughs) So she gets him out. So then the next day she decides to wear her full habit and they don't explain why. (laughs) Okay. That's because the Abbey is cloistered. They do keep telling her, you haven't taken your final vows, you don't belong here. Yes. And they talk about the history of the Abbey. So there was a duke during the Middle Ages who liked all that spooky occult shit. And he tried to summon this demon. And he was mostly successful before these inquisitor knights show up and cut his head off. and Part of the crusades. Right, yes. So these there are these crusader knights. And... They cut his head off and they use what is basically the holy hand grenade of Antioch, but it's full of the blood of Christ. And they use that to close the seal again. The church takes control of the castle. Even though it was originally built for demonic servitude. Right. But the whole they reason. They turn it into a, a, an, an abbey. abbey. Yes. Yeah, so they can have a presence there and they can keep that demonic spirit at bay. But then. The war happened. The war happened and bombs were dropped on the castle and it kind of broke the seal. And that's where that's why we are where we are right now. Burke does some research and finds out that it is Valak. He tries to talk to the abbess and he realizes it's just a corpse. So he's attacked by this corpse who grabs at him and... There's this great sort of hero moment where Frenchie shows back up with a shotgun and shoots the corpse off of him. I thought that that was kind of cool. There was this moment early on about the the shotgun. There's a moment before where Frenchie uses like a shovel or a bat or something like that. And Father Burke says, next time do use the shotgun. And so this time he actually does use the shotgun. Uh, it was just a fun callback. Like I say, this movie's at its best when it's not taking itself so seriously and it's just trying to have fun. Meanwhile, the whole thing is going on with Sister Irene and the prayer. So Father Burke and Frenchie show up and they say, hey, there's nobody actually here. So Frenchie and Burke find the blood of Christ. And there's that line where... Father Burke says, the blood of Jesus Christ, and Frenchie says, holy shit, and Father Burke says, the holiest. It's not shit, so it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But they find the blood because there's a, it's so dumb. This whole thing, all of her visions as a child, led to one moment, which is they find a statue of Mary, and its finger is pointing. And they follow where the finger's pointing, and they stick the key in that little crevice, and that's how they open up the chamber to find the blood of Christ. 
And, and there's like light reflecting off of Mary's finger like it's an Indiana Jones movie or something like that. They do this whole thing where Irene wants to take her vows because she needs God's support in order to fight against this demonic nun. The whole reason they don't say this outright in the movie, but the whole reason Valak is expressing as a nun is because Valak is released into what is now a nunnery, this abbey full of nuns. So the movie doesn't explicitly say that, but that explains why in this and in Conjuring 2, the bad guy is actually a nun, because I guess it likes that outfit most. (laughs) Well, the idea is that it started out by taking over nun bodies. So like, that's just the form. That's just the form it took on. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. I also wrote, wait, if it only needs a soul to get out, right? Like it needs a body to possess. Why are you guys here? Couldn't theoretically nobody stay there and then... The idea is that they wanted them to get rid of it. Right. What they, but didn't, when, under, what they didn't understand is that you can't get rid of it. Right. When the nun in the beginning kills herself, that was effectively trapping yes. the demon but there. But the Vatican apparently was unaware of that. Yeah, I guess. Even though it was totally aware of Thaisa mm. and her visions having to do with this. But when she does the her... The more I talk about it, the more I don't like it. <laughs> Which is a bummer, because I enjoyed it while I was watching it. Right, because you're talking about kind of silly, stupid things, but that's my point. It's fun. It's not scary. There are scary moments, but it's not, like like I say, when it's bad is when it tries to be serious. And so when you expect it to be, like, serious and, and, and like that, no, that's not what this movie is good at. This movie is good at just being fun. Like, for instance, when she takes her vows, there's, like, this hero music that's happening. And... I know you might say you don't like this, but I actually really do. It it makes her taking her vows like Rambo prepping for battle, you know, where he straps on all these guns and the knife and the grenade and he puts the bandana across his head. And but it this is since it's we're talking about nuns and this is religious, it's her taking her vows like that's not super serious. That's just fun. And that that feels like a microcosm of the good and the bad of this movie is like this moment. If you don't have fun with that, then you're not going to like it. If you do have fun with that, then you're not going to like when the movie isn't that. And that's kind of what this movie struggles through. Also, after they find the vial containing Christ's blood, Frenchie says, shouldn't we say a prayer or something first? Father Burke says, there's a time for prayer and a time for action, son. Now is the time for action. To which Frenchie responds, Also still feels like a time for prayer as well, Father. Like, that kind of stuff is fun. Let's have fun with this movie. At this point, there's an army of faceless nuns, which I feel like could have been cooler. It's just a bunch of habits with no faces in them. So, she's amongst all of the fake nuns. Yeah. But are not really there. All, again, all the nuns fake. Every single one that we didn't see in the first in, shot. In the first scene. And it's weird because earlier in the film they had explained to her like that she needs to pray at all times and she even apologized. And then like she comes to this one who's praying nonstop and she like keeps trying to talk to her. Right. And it's like you already know it's constant vigil. You know the gist. And then there's this shot where all of the nuns are on their knees and they are all praying. 
And they are in this formation. And, like, when I first saw it, I was like, that's really dumb. But they wanted you to know. Oh, yes. They were very proud of this formation. They stay on that shot. And, like, they even do an aerial shot so that there's no question. Uh Uh-huh. And then they, like, tear open her dress. And then they whip her. And the whip slashes turn into a pentagram. Right. Okay. To be clear, there's no one physically ripping open her outfit there's no one physically whipping her with an actual whip you're just seeing the results of this and hearing it yeah but you do not actually see it Uh uh-huh and so then like all of the nuns are then able to because she withstands it and because she keeps praying all the other nuns are able to get up and continue to pray with her but then when father brooke shows up it's revealed that none of them were real who are you talking about (laughs) but the visions felt so real father yeah We've been praying, all of us together. Perpetual adoration, it's the only thing that's been holding back the evil. Who's been praying? All of us, the other nuns. They were here. They they were praying when we were attacked. The nuns tried to warn me. Visions. They felt so real. This is when... The Father Burke is like, I can finally say this place is no longer holy. Yeah. <laughs> they have to seal the gate. There's so if you remember back to the flashback story, there's the gate that the dude was trying to open, and then the warriors come in and chop his head off, but it's kind of partially open, and so that's why this whole thing exists here. And now they they need to actually seal it off. At one point, she gets attacked by something, probably the nun, but then like it just kind of goes away. Back to my point. About hauntings. Yeah. But then it's a trap. 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 Irene walks right into a pentagram and Valak possesses her. This is what Valak wanted the whole entire time. It's the reason why the nun killed herself because she was the last living one. It's the reason why they never should have been there in the first place because as long as nobody showed up, the spirit would never get out. The demon would never get out. It needs a body. And so now that they're in there to seal this entryway, this gateway, they show up and now all of a sudden Valak has something to actually possess. And so she possesses Irene. So then they decide to make a giant cross. But the way that they do it is with fire. So it's an enormous burning cross. And I'm just like, did we not consider (laughs) what Americans associate with burning crosses? I guess not. There's a moment that I actually really loved. And I'm not sure if this is the one or not. Because Father Burke does light a fire. And he, he like smashes a lamp to ignite the fuel that he has. He says some sort of prayer about... Uh, Jesus protecting him from evil with his holy light. And as he does that, he smashes the lamp and causes the fire. And that's what protects him. I think that might be this moment that you're talking about. Protect us from evil with your holy light. It felt very Constantine in that, no, this is, this is these are like literal weapons of the Lord and you're using prayer. It's not just some sort of idle prayer like they would do in some sort of semi-religious haunting story where the character just prays for God's protection. It's like, no, Jesus protect me with your holy light, fire. Like <laughs> that's kind of kick-ass. I like that a lot. So, here we have the big action kind of set piece, right? This is when 
demonic version of Thaisa Farmiga attacks Frenchie and tells him you failed, just like you failed everyone in your life. And like, oh, is to this when shitty. she says tomorrow the village will be missing its idiot? Something like that. It's like, oh god, is the nun telling jokes now? Yes. You failed. Just as you failed everyone in your life. Tomorrow, a village will be missing its idiot. God. The nun is a wisecracker. I didn't need that. I did say that I wanted this movie to have more fun with itself and not take itself so seriously. I think they thought that the nun telling this joke would be cool. <laughs> and it's not. It's a little lame. Yes. Have fun. Don't be stupid. There's all this debacle, but he is able to like. He gets blood on her face. He gets oh, the blood of Jesus on her face. Yes, which pushes the demon out of her. But then they fall back into the water. Yeah, this whole chamber is now flooding with water. They kind of all go underwater. And when... Now, the, how they do the next part, I don't know. No, I also put that. I don't know how this actually was accomplished. But I kind of don't care because it's really cool. It is fun. There's this moment where the nun just sort of like rises up out of the water and it's this great shot and it's really kind of like epic you got the droning chance again uh i the, the thing that i said earlier i really like and then she reaches down into the water and pulls up taisa farmiga and it's like strangling her or something like that and all of a sudden taisa farmiga just spits in her face and it's not water that she had in her mouth it was the rest of the blood of christ now how she got that blood in her mouth who knows? She was just underwater. Now, if you're religious like me, this might feel sacrilegious. That's because it kind of is. It kind of is, but it, it aligns <laughs> with that tradition that they mentioned earlier of spitting to ward off evil spirits. Which I do like. And then when you consider the fact that when we take the Eucharist, right. we are supposed to be drinking you're his consuming blood. His, yeah, exactly. So I guess it's okay. But the fact that you're spitting it out might be sacrilegious. But you're using it to use his power against a demonic force. So I think it's all fine. still fun. seems... Not okay. <laughs> yes. And they think that they were successful. We know, since this is a prequel, that they were not. So what does this tell you? The fucking blood of Christ does not stop this nun. Saying you know its name, that does. Which is weird because Father Burke knows its name. He does the research. He finds out it's valid. Well, here's the thing. It works in the moment. The blood of Christ works yeah. in the moment. And it does get rid of the nun from coming after Thaisa Farmiga. But it did not destroy the the demon. Apparently the only way of destroying the demon is by knowing its name. Yes. The blood of Christ can be like a, like a barrier. <laughs> so she passes out. Frenchie wakes her. And he tells us what his real name is. His real name is Maurice. And this is important for later. What happens in this moment is that I guess when he was trying to resuscitate Irene, maybe something to do with the fact that the, the spirit had to go somewhere when it was dispelled with the blood of Christ, it ends up in Frenchie. And we kind of see that. And we know that this is how the nun gets out. Oh, <laughs> the cross he wears around his neck is upside down. That's one of the signs that he's been possessed. Ah. <laughs> now, I do like how they spin it around. I really, 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 really do like this. So, I did. 
the question is, why is it in England later? Did it stay with Irene, who lives in... Um, Did they say he was in England? No, because in The Conjuring 2, it's in England. Oh, how did it get from yeah. Romania in the first film to England in the second film? Yeah, I guess maybe Frenchie did it. I don't remember all the details, but the point is, this is really, really cool. They wrap the whole thing back around to the first Conjuring movie where we saw in a presentation that the Warrens were giving, we're back to that presentation, and they show that moment from the presentation where they show some possessed person being exercised. And that possessed person is Frenchie. Now, we didn't go back and check to see if it's the same actor or not, but it might be. I don't know. It's That's kind of not the point. I'm going to check it. The character is. So apparently it's not, so that's a bummer. Yeah. But it is a really great and clever way to wrap it back around. Now, that means that they've interacted with her before, which would explain why the nun is imprinted on Elaine Warren. What it doesn't explain is why the nun shows up in all these places like, okay. So, so then we know from last week that the nun isn't actually in Amityville. She's just getting kind of a flash forward, but it is in England. And there's, I, I, I don't know. I haven't tried to break it down how it actually ended up in England, but that's fine. And that's the end of the movie. So Kelsey lightning round. I think I'm good. I just want to say, I don't know that I did a good job of explaining why I enjoyed this movie and after talking about it, I probably don't as enjoy it as much as I did while watching it. What? So it's one of those movies where when you poke at it, you find more and more flaws. But honestly, I enjoyed watching the film. Yeah. And they weren't the, the problem. There were problems. I was aware of the fact that there were problems. But like. The bulk of the film was fun to watch, and in my opinion, it's more important that you 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 grab me than it is that you have an amazing film. If you can't grab me, then you need to have an amazing film. Right. But if you if you've grabbed me, then all of the stuff that I'm thinking about now, it's like, well, at least I wasn't sitting there during the entire movie just hating it. Right. If you want to hear somebody tear apart the movie. Uh, Cordry FX has a good video on YouTube that breaks down this and La Llorona about like, you know, kind of how these sorts of spin-off movies like this are everything that's wrong with modern day horror that James Wan kind of brought into cinema, but let go and let other people learn the wrong lessons from. Mm-hmm. So if you want to watch that, you can, but I don't think it's as, as bad as he says it is. Yeah, I I think that... If I was just a typical moviegoer and sat down to watch this and I wasn't picking it apart, I think I would walk out of this and be like, no, nah, I liked it. It was kind of good. Yeah. yeah. There is one extra thing I wanted to say. One of the ways that Father Burke figures the whole mystery out is with the crossword puzzle. Oh, I did write that down, how much I hated that that was the payoff. because I the said, entire. Really? The entire fucking movie, he keeps bringing up the fact that he loves fucking crossword puzzles. I was like, is that going to become important? It and then is. it was like, for that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Really? It, That's why that was a thing? It helps him figure out the mystery of Valak and the fact that there aren't any nuns there or something like that. I don't even remember exactly. It, yeah, I don't remember, but it was some, it was really dumb. So, with all that said, Kelsey, what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? A 57? 
a 25. The Nun boasts strong performances, spooky atmospherics, and a couple decent set pieces. But its sins eh, eh, include inconsistent logic and narrative slackness. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not wrong. But I don't know that that means that it requires a 25. Right. It sounds like half of this consensus is that it's good. Yeah. But again, 25 is not its rating. That's the percentage of people that say they like it. As far as a rating is concerned, Metacritic has the average rating at 46. And a cinema score of C. Do you think this movie is overrated or underrated? Oh, I think it's underrated. What would you give it? I'm going to give it a 52. Yeah. I enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to. Yeah, I, I think I'll give it a, a, a whole 60. I don't know. After talking about it, I'm like, ah, oh, there's a lot more problems than I was thinking of at the sure. time. But yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I actually... Overall. Overall, I would walk away with... If, if my review was on Rotten Tomatoes... It would be positive, but it wouldn't be like a glowing review or anything like that. The movie's not perfect, but it's way better than people said it was. Yeah. People get too hyperbolic about some of this shit sometimes, I think. They just but like in a to way, I'm kind down. of glad that they do because it yeah. helps me to go in with a really low expectation. Right, so but if it wasn't for the show, we never would have seen it. Probably not. Mm-hmm, that's true. So it's a double-edged sword, I guess. <laughs> oh, well. Well, that is 2018's The Nun, wrapping up our Halloween week here on Pod Cemetery. What are we watching next week? So next week, in anticipation of the new Terminator movie coming out, which I literally just found out includes Edward Furlong, so I am yes super excited. Yes. Because I have not seen him in any of the fucking trailers. No. So, I'm going to be pissed if he's in it for, like, two minutes and then he, like, dies. Probably. Like, I would not <laughs> I would not be happy about that. But... It's coming out uh, this week. So, when this launches on um, a Monday night, it'll be at the end of this week, Thursday night. So, in anticipation of that, and because it was recommended to us, we will be watching Terminator. Fuck yes. Along with Morgan. Yes. Uh, both of which were recommended to us by Harry. Harry. I don't know. I assume maybe because we're talking about programmed killers. Yes. Maybe. I don't know. We'll watch Morgan. Have you I don't not think, seen Morgan? I don't think we ever did. We I watch, saw Morgan. I feel like maybe I did and it's just gone from my brain. Yeah, I don't remember it. Sorry, Harry. I don't remember it being anything special, but. Who knows? Maybe we'll watch it again and really like it. It's. It's happened before. But we're super excited for Terminator. Fucking love Terminator. Love Terminator. Love Terminator. The original Terminator. Terminator 2. 1 and 2. 2 is also great. 2 is almost better. I A lot of people think that. But a lot of people think that Aliens is better than Alien. And while James Cameron kind of runs the show on Terminator, <laughs> he, he took over with Aliens. And I don't know. People feel like that it has that same sort of comparison like there's the dark and grimy and intimate sort of nature of both the first alien movie and the first terminator movie and then the sequel comes out and it's bigger bombastic that sort of thing and people seem to like it i don't think there's anything wrong with that i don't think there's anything wrong with it either (laughs) but personally i like the darker creepier tone of the originals i love the originals in both but i love the sequels in both sure absolutely that's not to downplay either but 
I'm not just gonna give aliens better credit because it has game over, man. <laughs> anyway, we're not watching Alien or Aliens or Terminator 2, T2, Judgment Day. <laughs> we are watching the first Terminator movie. Uh, in anticipation of this new one. So really, really excited about that, along with Morgan. So thank you very much, Harry, for that recommendation. Glad we can actually get to this one. Until then, you can always reach us on our website, podcemetery.com, or our Twitter account, at podcemetery. I've already started editing this episode, and there are a ton of fantastic GIFs from Halloween 3. Go to our Twitter at Pod Cemetery to check those out and please use them for your personal reaction gifs mm-hmm. in the future. There are some really good ones. Tom Atkins, just A plus. Mm-hmm. Great work. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. Five star written review is the best help you could possibly be for us in that way. Share us with your friends because that's even better. And thank you all very much for listening in the GD first place. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Three more days till Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Three more days till Halloween, Silver Shamrock. They decide to go and check it out. Have they had sex yet? No. Okay. <laughs> and how old was he? I, I God damn it. I knew you were going to ask me that just now. I realized that you would ask me that. <laughs> you don't enjoy when somebody just flirts with you? I don't get flirted with very often. <laughs> oh, baby. I flirt with you No, all it, the time. It's, it's more that I'm just 100% dense and I never know when I'm being flirted with. Um, the, the, what's it called? The, the Inquisition. No. Oh, the, um. The Crusaders. The Crusades. You want to say that clean? And then she jumps to her death in front of him. What? What did you just say? <laughs>